pronounced Ditka. Ditka. <laughs> was that was that full size Ditka or mini Ditka? <laughs> Howdy! You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. The Dallas Cowboys are considered to be the most valuable sports franchise in the world. With fans in every major city, it is the most successful franchise in the National Football League, holding numerous records and championships. In the 1970s, it was a dynasty of unparalleled success under a legendary head coach with an awesome hat. In the 1990s, a new dynasty was formed under an unconventional owner. Their fans have seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. It was even said that the stadium where the Cowboys played had an open roof so that God could watch the home games. Today we're talking about the remarkable history of America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. But first, what's your favorite Texas sport team slogan? Well, mine will always be uh, Love You Blue, the the slogan for the Houston Oilers back in the 80s. Um, that was, uh, I was a young child at the time, I was a big Houston Oilers fan, and uh, they had a song and everything um, that was uh, sung to the tune of the Beatles' Love Me Do. Um, a lot of good memories. I had a Love You Blue birthday cake for my <laughs> sixth or seventh birthday. I forget somewhere oh. in that range, but it was it was beautiful. I've I've got a picture of that somewhere. Or my parents have a picture of that oh. somewhere. Mama Elfstrom, uh, send us a picture so we can put it on Facebook. Yeah, I will always remember that cake, and I will always remember those shirts and those signs, and I will always remember the tauntaun I got for my birthday that year. <laughs> well, I. I have a, a lot of fond memories of the Houston Rockets and Clutch City, but I'm actually going to say it's the new Dallas Star slogan from just a couple years ago. Coach Ruff has a big slogan. It's right on the wall as you walk out. It says, everybody ropes, everybody rides. <laughs> and it just, it's uh, his philosophy that, uh, you know, he expects everyone to give their all and that, uh, you know, whatever you're called upon to do, you know, there's no... You know, whether it's defense, offense, whatever the job is, he just expects everyone to do it. And uh, I don't know. It seems like a pretty Texan thing to say. Everybody ropes and everybody rides. Well, I'm going to show some loyalty to our our alma mater uh, and go with the UT Dallas Comets, the, the standard whoosh for the Comets. Because there's nothing like cheering when you're watching a chess match. Hey, now UT Dallas is actually branching out and has uh, some some decently competitive teams. So that's right. Let's put a little love on <laughs> on our on our old home. The story of the Dallas Cowboys begins in the early fifties. Despite what many in Texas would believe, football is not originally from Texas. Football originally was a game favored by Ivy Leagues in colleges back east, but it came to Texas in the eighteen nineties, where it quickly became popular in colleges and high schools. However, while the first professional league started in the Northeast and Midwest in the first years of the 20th century, in the Southwest and especially in Texas, the game was played by amateurs. Dallas was definitely a football town, but college football was the bigger attraction. World War II changed things, however. America's population centers radically shifted during and after the war, and it was only a matter of time before a professional team would set up shop in Texas. In 1952... 
the short-lived New York Yanks was sold to Dallas millionaires Giles and Connell Miller, who promptly decided to move the entire team to Dallas. The NFL owners approved the move with an 11-to-1 vote. The team was originally going to be called the Rangers, but the brothers settled on the name the Texans instead. I guess the Dallas Yanks would not work either. Home games were played at the Cotton Bowl Stadium in Fair Park, but their first season was a disaster. After seven humiliating losses, each game seeing attendance dwindle further and further, the Miller brothers found themselves unable to make payroll, and they returned the team to the NFL. Operations were moved to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and the Texans never played another game in Texas. They did manage to win one victory over the Chicago Bears under legendary coach and owner George Hollis. Hollis played his second string during the entire game, which had been outdrawn earlier in the day by a local high school football game. At the end of the season, the NFL folded the team and awarded the players' contracts to a new franchise in Baltimore, the Colts. Despite this disaster, there were several Dallas businessmen who believed that the city could still support a professional team. In 1959, Dallas oilman Lamar Hunt founded the American Football League. Hunt had earlier tried to buy the failing Chicago Cardinals, but the negotiations had fallen through. He next attempted to convince the NFL to expand by granting him a franchise in Dallas, but the NFL wasn't interested. So Hunt, with seven other owners, decided to start their own league in competition, calling it the American Football League, which held its maiden season in 1960. The charter members were Dallas, Denver, Houston, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, New York, Buffalo, and Boston. Cincinnati and Miami were added later. Hunt's team took the name of the previous Dallas team, the Texans. He initially offered the head coaching job to Oklahoma University head coach Bud Wilkinson, but he turned down the job. Hunt ended up giving it to future Hall of Famer Hank Stram, but not before he was also turned down by the Texas-born defensive coordinator of the New York Giants, Tom Landry. Perhaps you've heard of him. The NFL was startled into action by the move and decided it wasn't quite ready to cede the South to the AFL. They quickly awarded a franchise to Dallas businessmen Clint and John Murchison, making them the first expansion team in NFL history. Washington Redskins owner George Marshall was bitterly opposed because the Redskins enjoyed a fan base throughout the South. They were the, at the time, they were the only team south of the Mason-Dixon line, and he had been the sole vote against the earlier Dallas Texans team. Marshall was also an avowed racist who fiercely opposed the integration of the NFL that had gone on since the late 1940s. Anticipating problems with Marshall, Clint Murchison purchased the rights to the Redskins fight song, Hail to the Redskins, which Marshall had neglected to secure. Oops. <laughs> Murchison threatened to prohibit the Redskins from using the song at their games unless Marshall agreed to allow the franchise to join the league. Marshall relented, and the franchise was approved. This was the beginning of one of the NFL's most storied rivalries, but it wasn't the last or only rivalry. Murchison and his other partner, Bedford Wynn, hired Tex Schramm as their general manager, Gil Brandt as their director of player personnel, and they lured Tom Landry away from the Giants to be the team's head coach. It was the beginning of a 29-year relationship that would propel the Dallas team to elite status in the NFL and set records that some of which still have not been broken. Their beginnings, however, were less than auspicious. They changed names three times in the first quarter of 1960, beginning with the Dallas Steers, followed by the Dallas Rangers, and finally settled on the Dallas Cowboys. Since the team was formed after the 1960 college draft, the NFL arranged an expansion draft. 
Each team could protect 25 of their 36 players, and the rest could be drafted by the Cowboys. Essentially, the team was left with the leftovers and second stringers from the league, which was itself facing competition for players from the upstart AFL. Dallas did get one great player, though, SMU star and future Hall of Famer Don Meredith. Meredith had actually been drafted by the Chicago Bears, but had been picked by Chicago owner George Hallis to ensure that the Cowboys would have one good player if they got an expansion slot. Meredith signed a personal services contract with Murchison's Tecon Corporation that put him on retainer for the team when they did get their approval for the NFL. Many people consider Meredith to be the original Dallas Cowboy because he came to the team before there was even a team. Their first season was predictably a disaster. Their record was zero wins, 11 losses, and one tie, which was at Yankee Stadium versus Landry's old team, the Giants. The Cowboys fared much worse than their crosstown rivals, the Texans, with whom they shared the Cotton Bowl. The Texans went 8-6 and six for the season, and they averaged 25,000 attendees at their games. The last home game for the Cowboys in 1960 only brought 10,000 fans. Still, the NFL didn't give up on their Dallas franchise like they had in 1952. In 1961, the Cowboys were able to participate in their first official draft. Their first-round pick was Bob Lilly from TCU with the 13th pick in the draft. Lilly ended up playing for 13 years and a Hall of Fame career as a defensive tackle. With Meredith learning under veteran quarterback Eddie LeBaron and Lilly becoming the anchor of what soon became the famed, quote, doomsday defense, the Cowboys' record steadily improved in the 1960s. In 1962, the Dallas Texans, Lamar Hunt's AFL team, left Dallas for Kansas City and became the Chiefs. The Dallas Cowboys were now the only game in town, and 1963 was the year that Cowboy fever began to catch fire. By 1965, they were 7-7 and and made it to the playoffs for the first time ever. The next year, they began their record-setting run of 20 consecutive seasons with a winning record of 10-3-1, an achievement that has not been duplicated to this day. And to put that in perspective, if the New England Patriots, the defending NFL champions, they would need to have a winning record for six more years to finally equal the Cowboys' run. They sent eight players to the Pro Bowl, including two eventual Hall of Famers, Bob Lilly and Mel Renfro. They also began an eight-year streak of making the playoffs, a record only topped by their own nine-year streak from 1975 to 1983. Only the Colts in the 2000s have equaled that record. The 1966 season was notable for a few more momentous reasons. First, the Cowboys played in their first-ever Thanksgiving Day game, which was something previously only the Detroit Lions had done. For the first time, the Cowboys were introduced to a captive nationwide audience. They won the game against the Cleveland Browns 26-14, and they gained fans from all over the nation. In addition, the Cowboys played in the NFL championship game where they faced the Green Bay Packers under legendary coach Vince Lombardi. The Cowboys lost 34-27 when the Packers stopped them on a goal line stand with 20 seconds remaining in the game. The Packers went on to participate in and win the first-ever Super Bowl, an internationally televised championship game against the winner of the American Football League, the Kansas City Chiefs. In 1967, the NFL realigned to accommodate 16 teams, adding in a semifinal playoff round before the NFL championship. The Cowboys won their conference with a 9-4 record and won their first playoff game against Cleveland, and then they once again faced the Green Bay Packers. 
They lost on a quarterback sneak by Bart Starr with 16 seconds to go in what would later become known as the Ice Bowl, the coldest game in NFL history. For the rest of the 60s, the Cowboys continued to win their division but lost in the playoffs. This earned them the nickname Next Year's Champions. The Cowboys also had a strange dual reputation, both for their highly scientific and methodical coaching style and conversely for the hard party and hard living off the field nature of their players. Dandy Don Meredith, who was the ringleader of this activity, though he was a mainstay of the team, retired in 1968 to a broadcast career alongside Howard Cosell. In 1969, all the pieces were seemingly in place under injury-prone starter Craig Morton. He was backed up by a talented Naval Academy graduate who just completed his four years of military service. His name was Roger Staubach. Also on the team was another future Hall of Famer, Mike Ditka, playing tight end, and running back Calvin Hill was named Offensive Rookie of the Year. It's pronounced Ditka. Ditka. <laughs> was that, was that full-size Ditka or mini Ditka? <laughs> The 1970 season was the first after the merger of the NFL and the AFL. For the first time ever, the Cowboys played the Kansas City Chiefs, though they wouldn't play each other in Dallas until 1975. Spoiler alert, the Cowboys lost. This season, next year's champions finally went back to the Super Bowl. Even though they lost to the Baltimore Colts in another last-second heartbreaker, Chuck Halley was named the Super Bowl MVP. The first and only time a player from the losing team was named the MVP. In 1971, the Cowboys moved into their brand new stadium in the Dallas suburb of Irving, the 65,000-seat Texas Stadium. They moved there in week six and completed the season 11-3. Texas Stadium was a partially roofed stadium, the only one in the NFL, and it had a large number of luxury boxes, which garnered the team a lot of extra money. The partial roof enabled the stands to stay fully covered, but not the playing field itself. Cowboys linebacker D.D. Lewis was the one who is credited with saying, quote, Texas Stadium has a hole in its roof so God can watch his favorite team play. That same season, with Staubach finally as the starting quarterback, the Cowboys defeated the Minnesota Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs and returned to the Super Bowl. There they shed the title Next Year's Champions beating the Miami Dolphins 24-3. They earned a Super Bowl record of 252 rushing yards. Laces out! (laughs) In the decade of the 70s, the Cowboys missed the playoffs only once and went to the Super Bowl five times, winning twice. They won 105 games, more than any other team during that decade. In 1978, they played a thrilling Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers, losing 35-31. An NFL films editor, Bob Ryan, called them America's team, and the name stuck. It was a marketing bonanza that not even the wily Tech Schramm had thought of. This may sound familiar if you heard our Mean Joe Green episode. Now, one thing that Schramm did think of, which added to the luster and allure of the team, was the team's other most famous feature, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Originally, the Cowboys cheerleader squad was made up of local high school students, the Cowbells and Bows. And they were dressed, as you would typically think, of a 1960s cheerleading team with their turtlenecks and their, uh, uh, you know, long pants and long skirts. During a game against the Atlanta Falcons in 1967, a local burlesque dancer named Bubbles Cash caused a stir by parading up and down the stands in scanty attire, holding 
cotton candy in each hand. Now, the sensation she caused caught Textram's attention, and he decided to form a new cheerleader squad of attractive young women. With the 1970s squad, Shram modified the squad's image more, changing them into more of a dance team, and their uniforms were modified into their familiar form that they wear today. A blue-collared blouse tied above the midriff, white vest with blue stars, white hot pants, and white go-go boots. Now, despite Coach Landry's objections, the beautiful and glamorous Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders became as much of an institution as the Cowboys themselves. The end of the 1970s saw continued success for the Cowboys. Among the many legendary players to join the team during the decade were Ed Two Tall Jones, Randy White, Drew Pearson, Cliff Harris, Bob Hayes, and Rayfield Wright. The late 70s saw future superstars Tony Dorsett and Danny White join the team. The 1979 season ended with a whimper. The Cowboys lost in the playoffs to the underdog Los Angeles Rams at Texas Stadium. A tearful Roger Staubach announced his retirement, the result of one concussion too many. The team went to his backup, Danny White. As it was for a lot of people, the 1980s were not good to the Cowboys. They went to the playoffs every year until 1983. In 1984, they missed the playoffs for the first time in eight years, but 1985 was another strong year and they won their division. Their streak of 20 consecutive winning seasons came to an end in 1986, though. The team was sold in 1984 to savings and loan magnate Bumbright because the Murchisons were bleeding money in the oil bust. The team continued to hemorrhage money, though, and it went through a series of horrible trades and drafts. The era of Tom Landry was sadly coming to an ignominious end. They ended the decade with four losing seasons in a row and sank to the bottom of their division. The series of bad drafts had done them in, but there were some bright spots. Heisman Trophy winner Herschel Walker joined the team in 1986, and by 1988 was virtually a one-man offense. In 1988, also, the Cowboys drafted future Hall of Fame receiver Michael Irvin. Tom Landry predicted that Irvin would lead the team's, quote, return from the dead. Now, he eventually did, but Landry had to watch from the sidelines. In 1989, Bum Bright, now himself hemorrhaging money from the savings and loan scandal, sold the Cowboys to Jerry Jones, and the golden era came to an end. Tom Landry was sacked, and Tex Schramm and Gil Brandt both left soon after. The firing of Landry generated a lot of criticism, with many longtime Cowboy fans complaining bitterly about the way he was treated. They felt that Landry was treated disrespectfully, even though the details of his firing were not made public. There was a lot of resentment towards Jerry Jones, the man from Arkansas who had bought the team and fired all the old familiar faces. Oh, resentment grew when their first season under new head coach Jimmy Johnson did not go so well. There was a new quarterback named Troy Aikman who was injured in the middle of a 1-15 season and his replacement ironically cost the Cowboys their first position in the next year's draft with their only victory. Johnson, however, turned out to be an excellent judge of talent. In the middle of the first season, he traded Herschel Walker to the Minnesota Vikings in a massive and complex deal that spun heads at the time. By the time the deal was completed, and stay with me because this is the NFL, the Minnesota Vikings received Herschel Walker, three Dallas draft picks, and one San Diego draft pick. And the Cowboys received two linebackers, one cornerback, one running back who refused to report, and a defensive end. More importantly, they wound up with eight Minnesota draft picks that ended up netting them Emmett Smith, a Hall of Fame running back and multiple record holder, and pro bowlers Darren Woodson and Russell Maryland. 
These players, along with center Mark Stepnoski, fullback Daryl Johnston, offensive tackle Eric Williams, and future Hall of Fame defensive end Charles Haley, and Pro Bowl tight end Jay Novacek, all joined the team over the next three years, and they formed the backbone to an entirely new and dominant Dallas Cowboy dynasty. After solid seasons in 1990 and 1991, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl in 1992. They would win again in 1993 and 95, only missing out of the 94 NFC Championship game in a wild loss to the San Francisco 49ers, which saw the Cowboys going down 21-0 and then rallying back from the deficit just to lose 38-28. It was a crazy time called the 90s. In 1994, Jones and Johnson had a falling out. Johnson stunned the world by resigning as coach of the two-time Super Bowl champions. He was replaced by Barry Switzer, a former coach from the University of Oklahoma. Cowboys fans were outraged. Texas and Oklahoma had been rivals for decades. Not only did an Arkansas interloper now own the team, but he hired a man who had coached a hated rival, and he was a noted cheater. (laughs) After losing to San Francisco in 1994 amongst the hoots and howls of Cowboy fans, Switzer led the team to its fifth Super Bowl championship in 1995. This set a record that still stands today, and he won over the fans, though many of them were reluctant. After losing in the playoffs the next year, and then posting a 6-10 record in 1996, Switzer resigned. Thus began a march of (laughs) mediocre coaches who just could not lift the Cowboys out of their doldrums. Even Hall of Fame coach Bill Parcells couldn't solve the problem. Over the next 10 years, the Cowboys had only four winning seasons, three playoff losses, and four different coaches trying to get the Cowboys their mojo back. Aikman, Smith, Irvin, and all the other greats of the early 90s team retired and were replaced by a string of talented players that never quite lived up to their potential. A young backup quarterback and special teams placeholder named Tony Romo came off the bench in 2006 to replace starting quarterback Drew Bledsoe, and he's been the starting QB ever since. Despite setting a slew of Cowboy and NFL records, he struggled to carry the team past the initial playoff rounds. In 2007, Jason Garrett was hired as offensive coordinator under coach Wade Phillips. By the middle of 2010, Phillips was fired, and Garrett became the new head coach. The Cowboys were 1-7 and headed for another losing year. For the remainder of the season, though, Garrett posted a 5-3 record, and he cemented his reign as head coach. He's now been the head coach of the Cowboys longer than anyone beside Tom Landry, but his results still haven't been that great. He did post three consecutive 8-8 seasons, but once again, the Cowboys are cursed to be loaded with talent, but they just can't deliver. In 2009, the Dallas Cowboys left the legendary but obsolete Texas Stadium in favor of a massive new stadium in Arlington, Texas. This stadium, which seats over 100,000, has a retractable dome, the world's largest LED scoreboard, and can literally be seen from space. The stadium cost over $1 billion and was largely paid for by taxpayer dollars, and its construction is steeped in controversy. However, it did enable Dallas to have its first-ever Super Bowl in 2011, even though the Cowboys didn't play in that game. 2014 was a solid year for the Cowboys, and they won their first playoff game in almost 20 years before losing in the second round. As we're recording this, it's uh, 2015, and as the season began this year, hopes were very high for the Cowboys. But 
in week two. Tony Romo went down with a broken collarbone, and suddenly it's back to the bad old days again. However, the Cowboys remain a beloved team with a fanatically loyal fan base. The team is one of the most recognizable brands in sports, and it is the first sports franchise in history valued at over $5 billion by Forbes magazine. In 2014, the franchise earned over $650 million, so there's little danger of Jerry Jones selling the team off anytime soon. So, yeah, I mean, the the Cowboys, as a professional sports team, have a uh, fascinating history. And, uh, I mean, we've, we've mostly just touched on the highlights, and I'm sure there's a whole lot more details that we didn't even get to. Well, you know, the thing that I think is really outside of all of the history of it, I mean, it's interesting how, you know, we talked about the Texas Rangers and how they kind of ended up coming to Dallas, but the Dallas Cowboys are one of those interesting things of it's America's team, and there are certain people who feel like, well, everybody loves the Cowboys. And then you go other places and you realize that, Nobody loves the Cowboys. <laughs> you, you, you don't even, you know, I'm sure that even our international listeners have an opinion of whether they love or hate the Cowboys. But yeah, yeah. For, for the people that don't follow football, um, the, the Cowboys are kind of the, the Yankees of football. Yeah, the New York Yankees. Well, I made a joke about it at the beginning, but like or, or they're parodying in a number of movies yeah. where, you know, the, the evil, the, the making air quotes here, the evil team is usually the Dallas team in whatever you know whatever fictional football team they put in your movie, yeah, yeah. including so for, in, in basketball, including they, baseball. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> the Dallas felons, yeah, the Dallas so convicts. For, for our friends internationally who play what we call soccer or football, international football, uh, they're like, sort of like Manchester United or uh, Real Madrid. They're they are the yeah they're the they're the big team that everybody loves except those people who love their own teams. Yeah, it's they're polarizing. They're they're, it's, a, polarizing. it's a polarizing thing to be a Cowboys fan. But they are. But what I think is fascinating is that they very much, they're very much identified with Texas, especially in the 1970s. And like you really can't get much more Texan in the 70s than the Dallas Cowboy, Roger Staubach, Tom Landry, and the Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. I mean, that is like defining for the 1970s. In this, in Texas, and in this country. Well, you know, we talked about like this this team being built here, and and all of the heartbreak and heartache to really bring professional football to Dallas. And you know, we talked about we hit a, on the year nineteen sixty three in there, but you know, with the presidential assassination that happened that year, you know, they canceled the football game. Um, but in addition to that, like. It, we talked about it in our Eric Johnson episode. Like Dallas began a, a really major transformation throughout the '60s and into the '70s in terms of becoming, um, you know, a, a heavily industrial and sort of jet age city. And now you have this sports franchise that is kind of blossoming in the you know as a piece of that because the the building of DFW airport and all the expansion here and there was a lot of eyes I think on Dallas and I think the Dallas Cowboys were part of creating that character and essential piece of what uh, of what Dallas became in the 70s so you guys are more of south and east texas sort of folks and I know you guys are we're big fans of the Houston, Houston Oilers. Scott especially was a big fan of Houston Oilers. Love you, Blue. Yeah. Well, my family was the Dallas Cowboys family. And Boo! It, <laughs> so I have a very, very strong memory of the Dallas Cowboys. 
in that when I was probably nine years old, it was, um, it was after my grandfather had died. Uh, my grandmother, my dad's mother, you know, she asked me what I wanted for my birthday, and I said I want to go see the Dallas Cowboys. So she gave my dad money to go buy tickets to, to go see the Dallas Cowboys, and we ended up going with my other, my mom's dad. Uh, we had an extra ticket because my uncle, my dad's brother, wasn't able to come. So my my mom's dad called his brother-in-law, uh, his brother-in-law Harry, and he Harry worked at uh, Convair, uh, General Dynamics in Fort Worth. And he called him and said, hey, how, how are you doing, Harry? And Harry said, oh, I'm not doing good, Jack. I, I'm feeling bad. I called in to sick to work all week. I just feel awful. And then my grandpa said, well, I guess you probably don't want to go to a Dallas Cowboy game. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'll be there. I'll meet you there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so the four of us went to the Dallas Cowboy game at Texas Stadium, and we saw the whole thing. And uh, my dad, you know, my, my grandmother spent a princely sum of $150 to send four people to a Dallas Cowboy game. And today I don't think you can park for $150. <laughs> well, a few years ago I did get to see um... – Dallas play the Cleveland Browns, uh, which is a, the Browns are a family favorite. Um, but uh, we got to see them play in Texas Stadium. And I want to say it was the year before they closed it or the the last year they played there. But it was one of the last last gasps of Texas Stadium. And uh, you know, for people who are outside of, of maybe of Dallas or maybe outside of sort of Texas and, and here, it, you, it's an interesting thing there that uh we don't have castles you know like uh like some of them fancy english and scottish fellas do but we do have football stadiums yes and when you you know you don't build a new castle (laughs) (laughs) you you know it's a testament to history that stands for hundreds of years um but uh, that's it's kind of an odd thing we just don't have a lot of old stuff so to see these new stadiums these mega stadiums the new AT&T Stadium, I mean, it's a beautiful technological, you know, it's it's a bit like the Death Star. It's gigantic. It's a technological terror. It's got a huge television set in it. Uh, <laughs> it's an impressive place to see, but it's still weird to see it so far out from the main city of Dallas out in Arlington. Yeah. Now, you know, I did mention that uh, the whole Love You Blue thing when I was a kid, but... You know, I'm pretty sure my dad was also at least partially a Cowboys fan because when I was a young kid, I knew who the Cowboys were and I knew who Roger Stahlback was. So maybe my dad was just a Roger Stahlback fan and that's how I heard about him. But, um, you know, it's like we said, you know, the Cowboys were kind of a everybody that loves the Cowboys loves the Cowboys and then everybody else hates them. Right. Yeah. And the Cowboys of the 70s and the Cowboys of the 90s are two totally different things. The Cowboys of the 70s definitely were, you know, the good guys and popular team, America's team, the Cowboys of the '90s were were the bad boys. I mean, they were the boys. They were the bad boys uh, was, you know, among the bad boys of football. But they were just so much. That '93 team, '92 and '93 mm. team was so much better than every other team out there. It was. It was, it was a crazy time. Yeah, it was insane. You know, it's funny though. Uh, you think there's there's these. Amazing athletes. There's these sort of wonderful moments of sports. There's all this uh, money changing hand politics of stuff. But when I think about like some of my, you know, I just remember the the idea of the Cowboys and the Redskins because I remember uh, being a kid in in elementary school, going over to a friend's house, and being in, supremely jealous because he had an electric football set. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and it was a Cowboys Redskins electric football set. And it's just like, there's those weird, uh, just touch points. So I think for anybody who's a Dallas resident or a Dallas Cowboys fan, they, they have some, some moment or some exchange with the, with the franchise, with the players. There's something that you just, you still hold, you'll always hold on to from the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that the, that to date, the, there have been 13 Cowboys players and team members, including Tom Landry and Tex Schramm, who were inducted into the National Football League Hall of Fame. The only teams that have more members that are in the Hall of Fame are members of the original NFL dating back to 1920. So that that's that's one thing to, to note is the Dallas Cowboys has a lot of players that are in the Hall of Fame, and then some surprising ones that are not in the Hall of Fame. Don Meredith is not in the Hall of Fame. But the Cowboys also have very famous their ring of honor, and so along the, the 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 between the decks at the Texas Stadium and now at the AT and T Stadium, uh, team members who who they have their own Hall of Fame are are put on this uh, this hall this ring of honor. So that's a, that's an important part of Cowboys tradition as well. Well, if you guys out there are listening, um, if you love the Cowboys. If you hate the Cowboys, but if you'd like to share something you think is an interesting piece of history or just something you think is interesting about the team or your own personal experience, drop us a line because we'd like to hear about it. And uh, we'll share them uh, in the show or we'll put them on the on one of our social media pages. Football. Football. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, well, oh, I, there was yeah. one more memory. I, when I came to Dallas in uh, 1993 to go to go to college uh my freshman year roommate uh john jameson hey john hope you're listening <laughs> um super brought, fan he, he brought his nintendo his super nintendo and on that machine he had the tech mobile game and he would constantly play of course as the dallas cowboys or he would say it was the dallas cowboys i don't think tech mobile actually had teams but, super tech uh, mobile did on the nes it did it okay mm-hmm. well he was always the cowboys and I don't remember if the players had names, but he was always Herschel Walker running down the field, and he he had his own little Herschel Walker uh, cheer, and uh, that was entertaining. (laughs) Oh, yes. Memories. Memories. Good memories. Good memories. Well, it's been fall in Texas, and it just is some fun football stories and some interesting pieces of Texas history that maybe you didn't know about. So thanks for joining us on this journey. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We want to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show with many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. If you want to be a member of the Come and Take It Nation and support the work that we do, then get yourself to patreon.com slash Podcast and sign up to help and support us every week. Special thanks to Paul Schmel for helping us to research and write this week's episode. Now, if you want to follow us individually, find me on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. We know you love football. We know you love Texas. So get out there, friends, and do your duty. Tell everyone you know about the show, and then get over to iTunes and leave a review. It helps us to find new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.